All right. Well, did you have a good Thanksgiving? All right. Four of you did. Let me ask again. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? All right. I know you had a lot to be thankful for. We all do. My uh, mailbox received a Thanksgiving card. My sister sent this to me. I really enjoyed it. It came last week. It said, a Thanksgiving pie chart. Let me have the pie chart with the green area there. The green represents people who plan to eat a healthy, low-cal meal. And the orange represents people who wish this was really pie. I really enjoyed that. And uh, we're going to be talking about some things that are kind of related to this, even though we're talking about money. Um, a lot of times you kind of see budget stuff coming, pie charts and all that kind of thing. Did you know that three out of four working people do not save any money? They live just paycheck to paycheck. Okay? If we're looking at that pie chart, what that means is they eat the whole pie. <laughs> right? If we're talking money, if that's the whole pie, and they live paycheck to paycheck, between paychecks, they eat the whole pie. What we're going to be talking about today is not eating the whole pie, having the discipline to save and invest. But that's a very difficult thing to do in our culture. And so we're going to be talking about that. So welcome back to Money Matters. This is part four of Money Matters, and this is the conclusion of Money Matters. We've done four sessions together. If this is your first time with us in these four sessions, we're going to talk about a controversial area. I have been in church all my life long. I've listened to sermon after sermon after sermon, and I've never sat in a church that talked about investing that I can think of, saving and investing. That's just an uncommon topic. And it's also one that's kind of fraught with a lot of tensions and it's difficult to kind of figure out because there's different kinds of scriptures that kind of are in tension with one another, uh, with each scripture. So one leans this way and another leans this way and how do we fit them together is part of the, the interesting scenario. Remember I talked about those three out of four people that live paycheck to paycheck? Did you know that 10% of those who make over 100,000 answer the same way? They live paycheck to paycheck. It really isn't a matter of how much we make. It's a matter of the things that we've been talking about. We talk about um, budgeting, you know, saying in advance where your money should go. We talk about not going into debt and getting out of debt if you're kind of buried by debt so that you aren't stuck and enslaved to the paycheck by paycheck eating the whole pie because you really feel like you can't do anything else. I've got to take care of today. We're talking about tomorrow and how today affects tomorrow because your future matters. That's our topic for today. Your future matters. Now, here's the focus, and it's a big one. The focus is what we do today affects tomorrow. Now, we all understand this. The tough, tough part about understanding this is dealing with ourselves. So we kind of get it with the pie chart about Thanksgiving thing. Very few of us fit the you know, mold, particularly on Thanksgiving, you know, where it's like, I'm going to watch my calories. You know, I'm going to eat smart. I'm going to be healthy. Anybody do that this Thanksgiving? Nah. You know, we all went into overeating mode because we're just all thankful. And I did too. I'm not pointing any fingers, but what about all the time? Do we eat the whole pie all the time? 
We live in a culture right now where the pressure upon us is greater than it has ever been, I believe. The temptation is to eat the whole pie. Spend it all now because we can. Very few people are actually connecting the dots between what I spend now and what I save now, what I invest now, and how I spend now affects tomorrow, affects my future. So here's how I want to start. I really want to get a hold of particularly the attention of young people. So I'm going to use a story about a 20-year-old girl. If you are a 20-year-old that is listening today and you make the decision to make a few adjustments in your life, here's how your story might go. Imagine this 20-year-old girl who decides, I will no longer buy my favorite coffee drink at a coffee shop like I do every day before going to school or work. Instead, I'm not giving up coffee. I will make my own coffee. I'll learn how to make my own favorite coffee. And I'm going to save the money difference, $20 a week. She did her math. $20 a week. I'm going to save that money and invest it. Now, if she invests in a growth mutual fund, if you don't even know what that is, that's okay for this illustration to work, okay? A growth mutual fund is a diversified stock portfolio, okay? If she invests in a growth mutual fund, what will happen 40 years later with just coffee money? The reality is, nobody knows. We cannot know, because we don't know what stocks will do. However, if her coffee money will grow at the rate that the S&P 500 has grown historically for the last 50 years, now averaging 50 years out, when she is 65, her coffee money will be $1.35 million, okay? So when we talk about saving and investing today, just a little bit, $20 a week, consistently over time, with an investment return, the chances of tomorrow being completely different than today are pretty significant. All right? Disclaimer. I am a pastor. I am not a financial planner. All right? So you need to listen to everything that I say today from the standpoint of a pastor's perspective, assimilating the scriptural truths to figure out how these tensions fit together, because there are tensions, and how those tensions then will be tested in our own lives, and if we will take these tensions and assimilate them for ourselves and train ourselves, our future is going to be better. Now, what I am trying to do, really, with all of this whole four-part series is to help us, because so many people have bought into the pressure of our culture today, buying things on time and paying with tomorrow's dollars and purchasing things, and not budgeting, and as a result, not saving, so on and so forth. And we're going to take a look at a whole different way of doing things as it relates to saving and investing. The previous three messages really worked on getting yourself in a position to be able to do this. If you're not in a position to do this, listen to the three previous messages, 
okay? Because now we're at a place where, okay, now that I'm out of debt, and now that things are working, now that my budget is working, now what do I, what do, I do now? Saving and investing is where we are in the strategy, and we're going to talk about the details of it as it relates to the tensions and the testing and the training that's involved. Let me tell you in advance, this is controversial. You'll have to put on your thinking caps. You'll have to kind of wrestle with the text. I will share with you a little bit how I've wrestled with the text to come up with uh, the kinds of things that we're going to come up with today. Here's where we'll begin. Point number one. God blesses good asset managers. God blesses good asset managers. We've talked about that several different ways already. Let me just walk through some bullet points. Well, first let's look at some scriptures, then I'll walk through some bullet points. Here's a scripture, Luke chapter 16, 10 through 11. Here's Jesus' words. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who can trust you with true riches? Okay? So, a couple of principles here. Um, this actually takes away a lot of the common excuses that are used by all of us. Excuses like, I don't have enough to give. Well, if you manage your money the way that God is asking you to manage the money, with a little, you can be a good asset manager with little. And if you're not going to give while you have a little to manage, and here's the excuse you use, I'll wait till I have more to manage, then I'll give. Do you think that you'll manage to give when you have more? No. You have to be a faithful manager with a little so that you can grow to be a faithful manager with much. You have to make sure you're not dishonest with a little or you will be dishonest with much. And this is part of the point about good asset managers. Let's just walk through some bullet points about good asset managers. Good asset managers know that God owns the assets they manage. If you're a believer, you already believe he even owns you. He gave you life. He actually spent his life to redeem you out of darkness so that you're now his, body, soul, and mind. I'm all yours. You gave yourself to Jesus when you started following Jesus. He owns you. He owns your time. He owns your talents. He owns your treasures. He actually then gives you time, gives you talent, gives you treasures, and says, now live life. Instead of living it for you, honor me. Be a good asset manager. All these assets I've given to you, now honor me with them. Okay? A good asset manager makes decisions today that help tomorrow. Good asset managers know that good investments produce returns, and good asset managers know how to do good things with the returns. Now, if they're doing bad things and selfish things with their returns, are they a good asset manager? No, they're a bad asset manager because they're not, it's not their money. They're doing things with the money that is not honoring to God, and so they're not a good asset manager. Now, I threw in here parentheses, including taking care of your family that God entrusted to you. The reason I put that in there is because there's a lot of misunderstanding about Jesus' words, and we're going to be wrestling with some of these words. Some people have this cloudy notion that what Jesus called us all to do is sell all we have, give to the poor, live out a vow of poverty, and only live for the eternal, and don't mess with all this money stuff. I think there's a lot of people by choice that are trying to live this way. But doesn't he also give us families? 
And aren't we supposed to manage our families well too? We're going to attack this question a little bit more directly later. I just want to plant a seed for right now. Good asset managers. God blesses them with enjoyment. In our heads, and there's also this fuzzy thinking out there that says, okay, if I actually try to follow God's principles and what the Bible says and what preachers are telling me, really, that churches get wealthy and the people get poor, and um, if I really try to do this thing, I won't be able to pay my bills and I won't be able to enjoy life. Well, let me share with you what Paul taught his apprentice, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, we read this. And this is a young preacher being mentored by Paul, and he's being told to train people with assets to think like this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now, here's the thing that we usually don't see. God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. If you will just follow God's plan, it's not that joy decreases, joy increases, and he provides you what you need to really experience the joy of life. Here's what happens. When people live life, and they're hanging on to all of their assets, and it's my assets, and I want my assets to grow, and yes, okay, I'll start saving for me, and I'm gonna become wealthy. They actually grow in their self-centered connectedness to money and wealth. Jesus confronted a rich young ruler one time, and he says this thing that's misquoted a lot. He says to the rich young ruler after this, says, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he has a lot of the right answers, and then Jesus says, there's one more thing you need to do, you need to sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And people think, oh, I could never do that. Well, he's not asking everybody to do that. He was asking that rich young ruler to do that because he had a problem, and it was a radical problem. Money was his God. He thought that he had everything under control. He's running life the way he wants to run life. He's got it all right. He can earn his way in. And Jesus puts his finger right on the problem. No, you're not really living for God. You're really living for you. You really think you got life all figured out. Sell everything you got. Come follow me. Because that was his idol. So that was being addressed. So this is a tension here because on here we have Paul telling us that we can enjoy. He gives us things to enjoy, but we need to make sure the path through which that enjoyment comes. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. That's the key. And then God will richly provide you everything you need for your enjoyment. God blesses good asset managers with enjoyment. That's A. B on your outline, God blesses good asset managers with life that is truly life. Now, we just read 1 Corinthians 6, 17. We're going to continue on now where we left off. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19 reads this way. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life 
that is truly life. God will bless good asset managers with a life that is truly life. Now, if you're a poor asset manager, typically the problem is, here's the pie and you want it all now. And because you want it all now, and in our generation, this is a really strong temptation, not just as it relates to money, as it relates to health, as it relates to discipline, as it relates to wanting it all right now. We kind of want this thing in the future, but we're like not connecting the dots that what we do right now actually creates the picture that is connected to the future picture. So we have to look at right now and how the picture is completed by connecting the dots. And Paul is being very, very clear. You connect the dots by living for God. The more you live for self, that self thing grows and grows and grows, and you're not experiencing what the Jews call shalom, which is a peace that is the peace like it was before there was darkness, before there was sin, before there was a problem. Shalom peace is, a, is not just the absence of conflict. It is how everything's meant to be, where God fills your needs and meets your needs and you enjoy life. The reality is we're never going to experience this side of eternity, perfect shalom, when Jesus returns, heaven and earth will be united. We've been told to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's still this gap, and we're praying it down, praying it down. Eventually, we enter into an experience of following our God in perfect shalom. Now, we can experience measures of that heaven right now as we gain a contentment that doesn't come from spending and eating the whole piece, whole pie, but we learn how to enjoy contentment and do the right thing and manage his assets well, set aside this portion that we're gonna set aside for doing God's will. We're gonna talk about that. Now, we need to take a look at the next scripture here. Um, 1 Timothy 5, 8. So we just backed up a chapter, same author to the same apprentice. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, before I offend unbelievers who are here, let me explain what's going on here, okay? If you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in God, so you're, you're doing the best you can with your life, and you have a philosophy and a purpose for your spending and your enjoyment and what you're living life for, okay? Paul assumes that and understands that. A believer, however, has said, my life is yours. I'm going to bring glory to your name. My whole life is to honor you, God, as my Lord and Savior, and I will live my life unto you and bring glory to your name. However, Paul is saying, you need to confront those dudes. They're living in such a way where they're no longer working, and they're no longer working for religious reasons. They're teaching things like, Jesus is coming back soon anyway, so, you know, let's just hang and party and, and live a vow of poverty or whatever it is, and we're okay. We don't need to enter into the system. They didn't use those words. We're just going to live free. And Paul says, that is a horrible asset manager. It's worse than an unbeliever. An unbeliever takes care of his own family and works and takes care of them. So if you're a believer and you opt out of the system in a vow of poverty and everybody else is supposed to fund you and your family, Paul says you are worse 
than an unbeliever because you say you believe in God and everybody looks at you and says, if he's a believer, I don't want to be anything like him. So your very life is worse than the life of an unbeliever because it dishonors God in a much more displeasing way to God. Okay? All right, now let's just back up a second. Do you see that the vow of poverty doesn't fit in this if you have a family? Do you see that our families are assets that we're supposed to manage and care for and provide for and work? Did you know that he's given us talents and jobs and energy and we're supposed to utilize all that to produce the wealth to take care of our families? That's all built into the background of this statement and addressing a specific issue at that day when these, for religious reasons, people were calling on everybody else to support them. And Paul says, no, 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 no. And in other places, if they don't work, don't feed them. Because they're actually dishonoring the name of God. All right? Next scripture. This is the wisdom from Proverbs. It's a wisdom saying it's not a promise. It's a proverb. It's a general truth about wise people who live a godly life. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Now, in this wisdom saying, if a person is a good asset manager, he will, at the end of his life, be able to leave an inheritance to his children and his children's children. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. Now, this comes in direct conflict with a lot of sayings that we've heard and tensions that we have when we wrestle with the words of Jesus. Now, just before we get to the words of Jesus, I just want you to... Here's something that you probably already kind of heard and know. The Jewish people as a people group control a disproportionate amount of wealth because of wisdom sayings in the Old Testament. A lot of Christians are now getting confused by a lot of things that Jesus has said and they're not really taking care of money matters the same way Old Testament teaches. Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. I want you to put your thinking caps on and wrestle with the tensions between some of these scriptures. So I want to start with one that I think gives us a key at the very, very end on how to untangle some of these tensions. And it's a scripture that um, Jesus is teaching a story about a very wealthy Jewish man who had a bumper crop year It was so huge in the amount of wealth that he accumulated in that one bumper crop year that he destroyed all his old barns, built bigger ones to store all his amassed agricultural wealth. And here's what he said to himself. Man, I've got it made. I don't have to work anymore. I can outlive this. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I can retire. Okay? And here's how Jesus addresses this guy that amassed so much wealth that he is ready to retire and eat, drink, and be merry. And here's what we read in Luke chapter 12. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That last verse is the key. He's not saying it is wrong to store up wealth. He's saying the whole motivation for 
why this guy is storing up wealth is completely off and wrong. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Is he being a good asset manager? No, he's looking at all these assets as his own. It's all his assets. He's just accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. Oh, good, I've got enough to play like I've got an eternal vacation at the end of my life. This is my version of heaven on earth. We'll call it retirement with a lot of American flair to it. I am not dissing retirement. Every one of us will eventually get to the place where we can't keep working, right? We need to prepare for that. What I'm dissing is the idea that we can accumulate all this for ourselves without being rich toward God and expect God to bless it. He says, you fool. I can't bless that. You're a lousy asset manager. You see, this is all yours. That's his point. Now, if you understand that key, now it makes more sense why we read these stark words of Jesus that sound like they contradict some of the Old Testament wisdom. Here's Jesus in Matthew. I believe that's where I am. Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, if you absolutize this statement, this statement totally negates everything that I'm going to say in this sermon because everything I'm saying in this sermon is you should save, you should invest for the future. If this is an absolute statement, then Jesus is saying, you should not save. You should not invest. You should only store up in heaven. You should only give. Don't save. I'm saying, no, no, no. Let's put these together, Old Testament wisdom with New Testament wisdom about caring for your family, and see what we come up with. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The same key is what Jesus uses in this teaching as well. It is the purpose for your storing that determines whether the storing is wise or foolish. It's wise if it's storing for the purpose of treasuring God and being rich toward God. It is foolish if it's stored for yourself and for becoming wealthy for yourself, okay? He's not saying every form of storing and saving and traditional wisdom is wrong. He's saying watch your heart, So there is tension here, there is testing here with every asset he gives, and there's going to be training as it relates to this tension and the testing and the assets, and that's where we read the scriptures, because there's tons of training and testing involved. Hey, the reality is, every one of us has assets, right? How you use it is the whole issue. How you view it is the whole issue. If you invest it to be rich toward God, wow, you're being faithful with a little, which might become much to be faithful with. But if you eat the whole pie with regularity, you end up with nothing because it's all for self, all for just living, just me, and that's the problem. So 
We need some training on this. Point number two, start with the 10-10-80 training wheels. The 10-10-80 training wheels. 10 plus 10 plus 80 equals 100, which is 100%. We're talking about percentages here. Every paycheck, you want to slice this pie. So you're not eating the whole pie. You slice 10% out first, and that's the tithe, 10%. You honor God, just like we heard about last week, where he said, I'm Dave, and I like stuff. You know, it's churches like an AA, where you are saying to God, no, you gave me this. I honor you with first things first. Now you take out the next piece of the pie, which is 10%, and you save or invest that. Now, this is after you got through the getting out of debt recipe that we talked about in, talked about in week two, okay? If you're in debt, you're going paying yourself is paying off your debt as part of the program, okay? Then you live off by budgeting the 80%. 10, 10, 80 are great training wheels, okay? That's something that you need to teach your children. That's something you need to teach yourself, and you train yourself to trust God in the 10, 10, 80 training wheel model. We need to be smart. In Proverbs chapter 6, we read this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. What does sluggard mean? It means you lazy bones, okay? You sluggard. Picture a slug. You slug, okay? No, no, no. Act more like an ant. Work, not a slug. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions. There it is again, wisdom. Set that wedge aside, save it, store it for the future in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Personally, I want an IQ at least as high as an ant. Right? Learn from the ant. Even the ant doesn't eat the whole pie is what he's trying to say here. Come on, set some aside. It's all about budging. It's not about how much you make. Those people that make over 100,000, 10% of them are eating the whole pie every time. And they feel like they'll always be in debt the rest of their lives because they haven't been able to manage it. Okay, Become a good asset manager. Point A on your outline. Don't invest in what you don't understand. Don't invest in what you don't understand. I was going to have a scripture here and I actually do in my Bible. I don't have it on the screen. Let me just look at this real quick. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4 says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. I've made a horrible investment in the past. I was trusting somebody who explained the investment. He said, this is gonna go big, huge. Invest all you can. And so I gave him what was a big wad of money in our budget, trusting him. And I thought it was completely trustworthy. Maybe he was, but he was duped because I got no return, zero, zip, zero, nada. Everything I gave him came back zilch because I didn't understand it. He explained it to me. I still didn't understand it, but I was just going on my trust. Don't invest in what you don't understand, okay? By the way, did I tell you already? I'm a pastor. I'm not a financial planner. 
okay? So seek your financial planning wisdom from people that know. And if you don't understand their wisdom, then what do you understand? Invest in what you know. Invest in what you understand, okay? You can gain understanding, and that might be helpful, okay? Be on your outline. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Grandma's wisdom, right? Where did grandma get this wisdom? Grandma got this wisdom from the Bible. Let me show you. The wisest man in history wrote Ecclesiastes toward the end of his life, and he's giving financial advice, and here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. Okay? So, remember the girl with the coffee money? When I mentioned that she invested in growth mutual funds, because they're mutual funds, it's already diversified among whole bunches of different investments. So that's already diversifying and not just playing the stock market on what you think is going to go big. Okay, so that's already diversified. But it's also aggressive. It's a growth fund. So, but don't talk to me about that. That's not my area. Okay? Now, point number three. In our training, after that training wheels works, and we work through the first three weeks, so to speak, of this Money Matters series, and if you haven't seen it, you can go back and look at it, you're going to get through a place where now you can adjust your training wheels. You've already passed, you're out of debt now, you've got your kids through college, and now you're in a position where God is blessing your good asset management. Now what? Now you adjust your training wheels. What do you mean by that? Well, the 10-10-80 is no longer necessary. And it, this is where it gets really, really fun. You might shift into, okay, we've got to be more aggressive in the future savings for my retirement because I was really putting all my money towards my kids' college, and now we've got to make up for that. And you might shift it to 15, 15, 70, okay? And then maybe after that gets funded up to the point where, okay, now the financial planner says, you're in good shape now. You're going to make it at this pace, and maybe you get some raises. You might shift again. You're adjusting the training wheels. You're starting to feel some freedom, okay? And it's starting to get fun. Now you're actually giving away more than a tithe. You're starting to pick and choose ways of being generous and impacting the world. You might go 30, 10, 60, and you're going, whoa, I just changed this little country or whatever, okay? Some enter into a period where the training wheels are off and they're going 50-50, they don't even need to save for self anymore. So much is coming in based on their investments. They're giving half of it away, 50-50. I just read from an author. His whole goal is to switch and reverse tithe. He has written so many bestsellers now, he's on target to do it where he can give away 90% and live on 10% and live well. Now, this training process, though, has to start somewhere. Start 10, 10, 80. And then as God blesses and he's faithful, now you can adjust the training wheels. Now, we talk about people who are gifted in prayer. We call them intercessory prayer warriors. Very rarely do I run into a church that thinks in terms or challenges people who are really good with money, really good to think of, that's a gift. Generosity is a gift. 
Maybe they're going to be giving warriors, totally impacting the world and transforming people's lives by the droves for eternity. Did you know that that's going to impact their future as well? There's a future blessing for gifts that touch eternity. I'm not sure how all that works, but Jesus is pretty explicit over and over and over again. Here's how I want to finish today. You're going to need to wrestle with these tensions and the testing and the training. You're going to have to wrestle through the scriptures. So on your outline, there's a bunch of scriptures that are provided. On the flip side, there's a bunch of questions. You might want to do the group study and read through those things. But here, somewhere, write down, write down my, your purpose, your financial purpose for your financial future. Because if you don't write down your purpose, you're missing the key. You're going to slide into sloppy thinking and won't be as blessable because you're missing the key. The purpose can't be self or it's bad management. It has to be honoring the one who's blessing you because you're managing his assets. What is going to be your purpose if he blesses and blesses and blesses? I want you to write some of that down. Think that through and pray it through with God. Now, I thought through how I wanted to finish today, and the way I want to finish is with a red prayer. I, I don't usually read prayers, but I wrote one out that kind of helps jumpstart this process of thinking through your financial future, what your purpose is going to be about, so that God can lift the load and bless you to be a blessing to others. If you're uncomfortable, praying out loud what you're not sure was coming next, feel free to just read along and decide to pray later. But if you're comfortable with praying this prayer out, let's pray it together out loud. Let's stand together. We're going to be asking God basically to help us to be good asset managers, to become the kind of people that he channels blessings through. That's basically where this prayer is going. So here we go. Say it with me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for purchasing me at such a great price by sending your son to pay my debt and set me free to be yours. What a great gift. You have blessed me to be a blessing. I am determined to see myself as your delivery person, not just a recipient. Thank you for entrusting gifts and resources to me to manage in a way that honors you. I need your help and wisdom in this. Help me to grow in my understanding of your will and your kingdom and your word. Help me to see my time and my talents and my treasures as assets you have entrusted to me to manage and invest to make an eternal difference. Oh, Lord Jesus, I want to please you and I want to help others whom you love to experience your presence and an eternal future of blessings as well. In Jesus' name, 